Welcome to this edition of Voices of Experience. I'm here with uh, Paul Casey, who is actually joining us via the phone lines today. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, Eric. Welcome. Uh, yes, for sure. So, Eric, what are you doing today? You um, do your normal host of Spotlight on Success. Yeah. And who is the successful person that you're going to be profiling today? Well, anyone in local media knows the name Jackie Fisher. She has a really interesting backstory of how she got into media and media sales. Uh, and she's just, uh, she's one of these people that uh, what you hear is what you get. She she's, doesn't put on airs. She's such a genuine person and uh, likable and, and speaks, even though a lot of times she, she's talking about things that are a little bit beyond my, my knowledge she doesn't make me sound like I don't understand what I'm listening to. She includes There's an me in the conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I was looking for the exact term, but essentially, uh, we're going to talk about how things have changed since she's gotten involved in uh, radio sales and media sales, and and now that we're all digital and have all these tweets and and uh, Instagram and, and everything else that's involved, how has it changed for businesses? So if you're a business owner, it's going to be a great. Uh, interview to listen to get some sort of free advice if you will um yeah. and so i'm excited yeah. how about very you good i'm going to certainly listen to that myself because we're all in the same business too um yes i'm going to be visiting with a beth knox and she's the president of the seattle sports commission and i've heard of the sports commission over the years but i really didn't know much about it what they do and i found out obviously more by talking to her and i think you will too um, it really is a coordinating body for a lot of our pro sports in the Seattle area, hmm. but also they bring in other sports like soccer games and a lot of amateur sports into the city. And um, it's just so much that they do that I didn't know. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation I have with Beth Knox. That sounds great. Uh, and so I, also, your second oh, one me. is very interesting, too. Yeah, um, we're going to be talking uh, about uh, voices in history today again, and uh, we're going to cover June 20th to the 23rd, those three days between the years of 1944 and 1975. Now, a couple of days ago, that would be June 20th, 47 years ago to that day, a movie opened up and became the highest grossing movie of all time. Now, that only lasted a couple of years because another movie eclipsed that one, but that's another story. I'll tell you at the end more about that. But the water would never be the same after this movie came out. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Um, also, one hit wonder for today. Remember the name Sonny Bono? And she, uh, excuse me, he was married to Cher. And it was uh, Sonny and Cher which those two were very famous, sang some very big hits. But for this one hit wonder, Sonny turned down this song because he thought that Cher, if she sang this song, may alienate some of her Southern fans. Hmm. Now, this song became number one by the other person who sang it. I just kind of think, how did Sonny and Cher, how did they uh, deal with each other after that? But anyhow, it's a rather fascinating story there. Voices of Experience, just a little bit about this show. If you're turning in for the first time, we talk with people with experience in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, 
with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And I know, Eric, you're going to talk to me today about solopreneurship. Yes, yeah, solopreneurship. Uh, we're going to talk about that, which is a, a term that was somewhat new to me until I met you. And uh, you have some great information that you can enlighten our audience with. So I'm looking forward to it. You bet. And also just want to let uh, the audience know that if they want to call in and give any comments about Voices of Experience, things that they like about the show, what they would like us to do more of, we are all ears, aren't we, Eric? We really want to respond to what the listeners want, because that's what it's all about, really. Yeah. And, and some of the comments we've received, including a recent one, was just really likes the variety of the programming. And that's helpful because that's something that I know you had a a, a dream of doing right, you know, early on in this show, Paul, is to offer a lot of sort of hard-hitting information and some very light things and some encapsulated things that can just brighten your day here and there. So it's almost like a variety show when you think about this program. Not quite the Sonny and Cher show, but close. Yeah, Voices of Experience, the variety show. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it may be a way to go. But you're right. You're exactly right because I get sometimes with the clock I send out, they're going, there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of moving parts that we try to organize. And that's what I want to thank Eric Ryder for pulling this together um, every week that we are live. So um, also, Eric, along those lines, too, wanted to um, you know let people know that if they do call into the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166, going to give two box seats that will include a complimentary buffet, parking, and beverages to the Tacoma Rainiers game on June 29th. It's a 6.05 game, and um, you'll get all of that on that evening. And again, if you just call in and let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, et cetera, that number is 425-653-1166. And as you always remind me, Eric, leave your phone number or your email address so we can follow up and let you know if you are the one that's been selected. Great point and a chance to win here a wonderful prize. I mean, that's that's amazing. Box seats, buffet, parking, beverages, and some great baseball stories from Chester. Yes, there you go. <laughs> All right, so let's get on with the show. Um, the sports, Seattle Sports Commission President Beth Knox coming up next. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. believe in the power of sports. That's the message that is displayed on the website of the Seattle Sports Commission. I thought it would be interesting to find out more about the role of the Seattle Sports Commission in our community, and who better to talk to about that than the Seattle Sports Commission President, Beth Knox. 
Beth has helped organize large-scale special events for the last 30 years, and that includes the Special Olympics National Competition in 2018, as well as Seafair and Bumper Shoot. Beth has been instrumental in bringing the Rock and Roll Marathon to Seattle and resurrecting the 4th of July fireworks show. And she also produced the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl Victory Parade in 2014. First of all, I just wanted to talk about the history and the role of the Seattle Sports Commission. So the Seattle Sports Commission uh, previously has been a department or division of our Convention and Visitors Bureau, Visit Seattle. And it was in that role for uh, 17 years or so. And that's not unusual. And, of course, there's pros and cons both ways. Uh, The Seattle Sports Commission started contemplating the uh, upsides of becoming an independent entity. There was a lot of good reason for us to do that. So in 2020, we initiated that transition. And, of course, then shortly thereafter, the pandemic hit. So it made it challenging on one level, but it was actually, it still provided an opportunity for the Sports Commission to inject itself into the sports community in a completely new way. We have so many pro sports in Seattle, starting with the Sonics coming in 1967 and of course leaving, but we have so many pro sports now, which we didn't have before. I could see a need for the Seattle Sports Commission maybe back before that time, But what is the need for the Sports Commission right now? A huge component of what we do is work with the professional teams to bid on and attract premier sporting events. So working with the Mariners to do the bid for next summer's uh, MLB All-Star Game. Uh, We're working with the Seattle Seawolves rugby team to do our bid for the Men's and Women's Rugby World Cups in 2031 and 2033 so and the list goes on we work with all of them to partner on those bids that's like the the most fundamental element that uh, our partnership brings to the table Uh, but we also support the sports teams when they are promoting a an event uh, or especially when it's a community-based event or when the ol rain returned to lumen field we helped them with uh, inviting the, the community, including the media, to be part of that press conference and that announcement and help to showcase what a great thing it was to have the rain back in, in Seattle. So those are the ways that we work with the teams and support their efforts and amplify the, the great things that they're doing in the community. You mentioned the All-Star Games coming back to Seattle next year, which is exciting. I was at the All-Star Game when it was here in 2001. And just before I was uh, going to make the call, I remember that that's the season the Mariners won 116 games. It's the best season they've ever had. So I'm hoping that maybe we'll get that mojo again. (laughs) I hope so, too. You know, there's there's lots of indicators that uh, that say that that could happen again. Uh, We we have a, a team right now that has so much great energy. Uh, and obviously, a lot of things need to align uh, to, to get that mojo back. But I feel like we are well on our way. The timing could be really good, and that would be a lot of fun, like it was last time. I also saw when uh, you gave your presentation to Rotary, and that was really uh, well done. It gave me some really good background here. Is the Army-Navy game, we're after that? Well, we haven't officially submitted a bid for that. It, it is on my personal uh, list for something that I want to pursue there's a lot of complications to, to that bid. 
uh, given where we are located in the country. But uh, the the Army-Navy game is such a uh, a meaningful one. There's a lot of uh, community support around that type of an event. So, and I personally feel that it would just be a, a great fit to have out here. So, I'll, it's on my list. I'm going to start uh, ticking away at what it would take to make it happen. Uh, my assumption is they just play every year in Philadelphia, and that's it. Have they been moving it around at all, or been contemplating that, or are you just going to say, "Hey, come out to Seattle"? They, there is an RFP out right now, and uh, so they are open to considering other other locations. Uh, that doesn't mean that they will choose another a new location, but they are considering it. Well, good luck with that. That's a great concept. It'll be, I think it would be very good for them, too, the Army-Navy game, to move it around some. That's easy for me to say, but when I we mentioned that, uh, I went, that's a pretty exciting uh, option to have in the future. I agree. I, I think that there's a lot of support for something like that out here, uh, and certainly with uh, you know a, a partnership with Boeing and some of these, of course, we've got so many corporate uh, partners out here who care very deeply about the military and have a, a strong connection in hiring military veterans. I think that there would be a lot of uh, interest in supporting that event. The Sports Star of the Year, uh, was that just named recently? The event was last night, and uh, Sports Star of the Year, it presents awards to not only sports stars in men's sports and women's sports, but we also have Sports Story of the Year and Sports Leader of the Year. Then we have a number of categories where we will honor various individuals who have left a legacy uh, in the sports community in our region uh, or demonstrated uh, particular excellence, uh, whether that is in media or in uh, uh, equity and inclusion. It's an opportunity to really recognize great accomplishments in sports uh, in the region, and uh, last night was just an incredible show of, of athlete celebrities and legends and people that are doing great work in our, our community. Who were the winners this year? So the winner of Sports Star of the Year for women's sports was uh, Gabby Plain from University of Washington softball, and the winner in men's sports was Tyler Lockett of the Seahawks. Both outstanding choices. That, those are public votes public vote uh, for uh, for those two categories, uh, as well as sports story. And the sports story of the year uh, was the inaugural launch of the Seattle Kraken. And is this the old PI's sports star of the year? Correct. Uh, The Seattle PI created it. uh, Legendary sports editor of the PI, Royal Brome, he started it uh, 87 years ago and uh, ran it for the PI took it for many years. And then uh, when the PI went, went defunct, then the Seattle Sports Commission stepped in to continue that event and has done it ever since. How did you find your way to becoming president of the Seattle Sports Commission? I have been in the industry of large-scale special events for over 30 years. Previously, I uh, was the CEO of Seafair for 10 years and then also ran the Special Olympics USA Games that were here in Seattle in 2018. And throughout that time, I had the opportunity to work with our professional sports teams in a many uh, variety of ways and develop those relationships. And so it was a natural evolution to continue working in sports. I've done some consulting with the Kraken and the Sounders, 
And so when this opportunity came up, uh, it was a, a natural connection for me, a good fit, uh, because it's really about bringing our sports community together, as well as helping to put on premier sporting events in the region. So natural fit for me, and uh, I'm loving every minute of it. Anything else before we go, or that pretty well covered it? I think that covered it. Well, the only thing that might be worth mentioning is on June 16, we will uh, be anxiously awaiting the announcement from FIFA of whether Seattle will be selected as one of the host cities for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. My thanks to Beth Knox, president of the Seattle Sports Commission. If you would like to visit their website, you can do so by importing seattlesports.org. And welcome back to Voices of Experience, which is heard on Kixie Wednesdays at 3 p.m., as well as simulcast on Sister Station, KKNW AM 1150. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie on Sundays at 11. So lots of ways for you to listen to this program. And thanks for being a part of our audience and spreading the word. Very much appreciated. Paul, that was a great interview with Beth Knox. Congratulations on that. And, uh, you know, sports is just becoming so huge in this market now. It's all over the news with the addition uh, of the Kraken and what's happening now with the Sounders and O.L. Rain. I mean, it just keeps going on and on, the successes that we're seeing here lately. Absolutely. And, you know, she said something at the very end there because I did this recording before it came out. But she talked about getting the soccer championship here in Seattle. They were after that. Seattle got it. They were successful in bringing in that um, soccer championship in a couple of years. So She's in the know. Uh, you know, yep. lots of history there, too, like this segment we're going into right now, which is Voices of History. And we're going to learn some really cool things, uh, some good trivia that's, in a sense, coming up here. So listen to all of these items from our friend Paul Casey. Yeah, and also I just want to let the uh, audience know that uh, if you're interested in any of these little vignettes I have, go to the History Channel and uh, you just go to historychannel.com and you can get all of these factoids every day of the year going back to 1800, even before that. It's a vast wealth of information. So I do get a lot of my information from here and other sources, Wikipedia, of course, but uh, so many others, Seattle history. But um, I'm just going to give such a plug to that historychannel.com these uh, vignettes on history. So uh, anyhow, let's get on with it. Um, starting out with June 20th, two days ago in 1975, you remember the movie Jaws? Oh, yeah. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Yes, it made millions of viewers afraid to go into the water, like me. And I think you, Eric, will talk about that in a few moments. But it opened up in theaters. Now, again, it was a story of the great white shark that terrorized a New England resort town, and it became an instant blockbuster, the highest grossing film in movie history, until it was bested two years later by Star Wars' George Lucas. Ah, there's a good trivia right there. What was the, what was the film that bested Jaws? Yep, Star Wars. There you go. <laughs> and I wonder if George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were friends. Or they just didn't talk to each other because they were rival. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't think I've ever seen them together, like on a show, an award show, or anything like that. I do remember vividly going to see Jaws. It was at the Roxy Theater in downtown Renton. 
and I lived up in the Highlands. We went down into the big city of downtown Renton and watched it. And like you said, I was afraid to go swimming in Lake Washington for about three years. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> even though it, it was a lake. To me too. <laughs> yes, I felt this. I looked at the lake. I went on a date. I dropped her off. She lived on Lake Washington on the east side, and I looked at that lake, and I was go go. You know, I I, I don't know. It just got to me like that. So. Anyhow, that certainly, certainly had a huge impact. Um, Moving on to June 21st, 1965, the Birds had a debut album called Mr. Tambourine Man, and that marked the beginning of the folk rock revolution. In just a few months, the Birds had become a household name, and that song, Mr. Tambourine Man, went to number one. And uh, I remember finishing my paper route, and going right to the Newport Hills drugstore and buying that single when I heard it on the radio earlier in the day. I loved it. With all your with all your paper out money. Right. Nice. Yes. I think it was then what was it? A dollar twenty-five a month <laughs> to get the Seattle Times. I was Seattle Times. Um also Mark Schmuer, Mark Schmemer, excuse me, Andrew Goodman and James Cheney were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan mob near Meridian, Mississippi, 1964, on June 21st. A very sad note in our history, but I think that's why we are marking so many of these uh, historical events that have happened to various people throughout our history, and I think it's justly uh, appropriate that we do that. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that was the inspiration for that movie, Mississippi Burning? That was. I a, absolutely a, think it was. Yeah, okay. Yes, Great Gene movie. Hackman. Great yeah, movie. that absolutely was. I think it was kind of about it, you know, they mm-hmm. uncovered the bodies in it. But yes, I I was just thinking about that and want to see that again. Um, also, G.I. Bill on June 22nd, 1944, that would be today, Roosevelt signs the G.I. Bill that provided access to higher education for soldiers returning from World War II. I think people take that for granted now, but how big that really was when it occurred Before the war, college had been really an option for only about 10 to 15 percent of the population. And um, the university campuses were just known for haven for the rich. But by 1947, a half a million Americans had graduated from college compared to 160,000 in 1939. So that's pretty remarkable. Huge jump. Huge jump. On June 23rd, 2013, aerialist Nick Wendella, Wellenda, excuse me, becomes the first person to walk a high wire across the Little Colorado River Gorge near Grand Canyon National Park. He wasn't wearing a safety harness and made the quarter-mile walk on a two-inch wire. Hmm. When he got to the other side, the reporter showed up and asked the question, why? Why? That's a good question. <laughs> I just made that part up. But <laughs> I remember... <laughs> seriously. Uh, I... I... I swear it was Wide World of Sports back in the 70s when they had him doing a something. Maybe it was across Niagara Falls or between two buildings. I just remember sitting there with my dad watching Walenda do that because he, okay. he, he did a lot of that uh, tightrope walking. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, crazy stuff, but that happened on June 23rd. It'd be tomorrow in 2013. And then I think this is, again, very appropriate for how much progress were made in that period of time through the 60s and 70s. On June 23rd, 1972, Title IX was enacted that prohibited 
federally funded educational institutions from discriminating against students or employees based on sex. Now we have women's sports all over the place. I remember when that happened, seriously going, well, why do we need to do this? Mm -hmm. Well, now I know why. Again, it was great steps forward. Opening doors for a lot of young girls. And uh, now their moms who were young girls then uh, are seeing their daughters play in sports uh, professionally. It's amazing. Yep. And it's a good thing. We'll be right back with more Voices of Experience. And like I said, we are back with this edition of Voices of Experience. We're going to talk a little bit about solopreneurs, what they are, who they are, I should say, and what would it mean to be one. And I thought of no better source than to go right to someone who's written about it, and that's, of course, Paul Casey. Paul, let's talk about the words solopreneur. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Eric, is that this word came into the vocabulary not too long ago. I, I can't really tell you when it did, but... I just started noticing it more in the last couple of years. And when I started my business a long time ago, um, I was an entrepreneur and that's what I called myself. But now that I look about what I was doing at the time, I was a true solopreneur. And the definition, let's first of all get to the definition of that. A solopreneur is a person who sets up and runs a business on their own mm -hmm. also they um, have no really intention of expanding a number of employees or trying to get a lot of office space. They want to keep it small. And that was the vision I had when I started my business. And I've done that pretty much all the way through. I've worked out in my basement. I did have a small office at various times along the way. But this really came from my mentor, a guy by the name of Larry Kaufman. And he was publisher of a marketing magazine and he did that for, gosh, a long time. Again, he unfortunately passed away uh, last year, but very influential on teaching me what you can do on your own before you start bringing in a lot of other people or put money into office space and just throw a lot of money away. For example, I took a look at, um, I got free office space for the first eight years because I printed my newspaper at the time at Murray Publishing Group. Because of that, I figured out that I probably saved a half a million dollars in over um, a 10 year period because I did that. That's a lot of money that you're just, you know, in an office, just writing checks to yes. the landlord. Um, and I could go on and on about other things. Um, but it's like what he taught me is how much you can accomplish on your own. And for example, um, you know, I was the publisher, the editor, the sales director, and um, also the distribution person. I inputted all my newspaper, et cetera. Pretty well did it on my own. Now, there are points though that, because you're not an island, it's not that I did everything on my own. Mm. I had a lot of contract workers, but I brought them on as I knew that things that were repetitive and I could pay someone to do that because my number one mission was to sell my product or service. There's no one who can do that as well as yourself. So I would spend the bulk of my time selling. And um, that's because again, no one can sell your product or service like you. 
I'm going to asterisk this now because there's nothing wrong with going the other direction. There's a lot to be said for getting an office. There's a lot to be said for hiring employees and going off in a different direction. But this term gave solopreneur kind of a definition of what we were doing. And I learned really how much you can accomplish on your own. And again, contract out things that you do need help on. For example, you're helping me. Eric's helped me today. Um, you know, Benny and Steve, there's a number of people that are involved in what we're doing now. And it's always been that way, but all I'm submitting is that you can do it and maybe go with that in mind. And then you get to a certain point. If you want to take off, you can, but make sure that you can get to that point. And I think solopreneuring it in the beginning is a, let's say, I always put the prospects for success. How high are they? It just puts you in a better position to succeed because you'll still be in the game and not be out of business because your overhead was way too high or something happened that you didn't anticipate. When your costs are really low, you can weather that. And I've weathered a couple recessions during the time, and I don't think I would have done it had I had all that overhead. So that's kind of what um, I wanted to talk about that today. Yeah, <clears throat> that's such sage advice. You know, I think all too often people decide that they're going to jump in and have their own business. And like you say, they feel like they need to have an office. They need to have the fanciest computers and desks, and maybe they have vehicles or whatever. And you grow. You don't necessarily grow. You you expend a lot of money way too fast, and then you find out maybe the revenue is taking way too long to get to you. So suddenly, uh, you're you're in and out in what six months is what isn't that the average, uh, Paul? On on yeah. businesses that do close. Yeah, <clears throat> six months to a year, and eighty percent of businesses don't make it. Wow. And that's, that's a that's a high percentage of failure. I would love to have time to tell a story. I will some other time about, you know, when you look at overhead costs, but restaurants, as we know, are really the high fatality rates in those. But the ones who make it or do really well. But there's a story that um, and I'll just say briefly that happened in New York. I think it was in Brooklyn. But this restaurant opened up and they put millions of dollars into it. And they really refurbished a restaurant from like the late eight, 19th century, like the late 1800s. And guess when their opening day was? Like March 20th, 2020, the Ouch. day the pandemic began and shut everything down. Ouch. So that's something that, you know, they had to weather and very high cost. So those are the things you have to evaluate. Now, we'll talk at a future time, but there is a real positive story that resulted from that because these guys were true entrepreneurs, but that we'll do another time. Great information as always, Paul. We need to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back to a wonderful interview uh, that you had on a past Voices of Experience way back when on Kixie 880 with Dave Niehaus. So I'm excited for that. We'll be right back after this message here on Voices of Experience. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Now Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices 
Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And we have some breaking news here, thanks to the savvy work of one Eric Ryder. <laughs> I was just going to say earlier, you uh, questioned whether Spielberg and George Lucas uh, were ever friends. And, and they hate each other, right? No, famously, they've been friends for oh. decades. So, okay, yeah, they collaborated quite a bit. And there's little uh, nods to Star Wars and E.T., for instance. So, oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. Well, thanks for checking that out. Appreciate it. See, well, thank you, Eric. See, yeah. we're a knowledge-based show. That's right. Through that and the power of the internet, you can find out anything. The thing I don't like about Google always proves me wrong. I'll, 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 I'll give a definitive statement about something. It always ends up wrong when you go to the Google. But that's cool. Thanks, Eric. Um, let's get into this conversation, Paul. Uh, you had a, the opportunity to interview just such a local legend in broadcasting, uh, Dave Niehaus. Uh, really connected to the Seattle Mariners. I mean, they're kind of joined at the hip there. So many famous sayings, and his energy was just infectious. I mean, that's how you listen to a ball game, in my opinion. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, he broadcasted games for the Mariners for 33 years mm. until his death in 2010, unfortunately. Before that, he was inducted well-deserved into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So that was really good. That happened before he passed away. But just a quick review. I interviewed him in 1997 in the spring. I was down in Peoria. I was doing Voices of Experience on Kixie on Sunday mornings then. I took a hiatus for about 20 years, but now I'm back. That's not what I want to go into right now. However, I kind of listened to this interview again. Here are some highlights of that season, that year, because that, for many Seattle Mariner fans who are suffering right now, this was a golden time from about 1995 to 2001. Hopefully we'll come back. But, for example, they won uh, their second American League West title that year, or, uh, yes, in 1997. Their record was 90-72, and 72, hmm. and that was the same record that the Seattle Mariners had last season. But they won it with the 90-72 and 72 record. Now, get this. This surprised me. They led the American League with runs scored 975. They set the all-time record for most home runs hit by a team in one season with 257. They led the league in strikeouts with 1,207. They drew over 3 million fans, a record that still stands. Hmm. Ken Griffey Jr. hit 56 home runs and won the MVP title for that award. So this is an interview that took place just before this magnificent season came upon us. And it was in right field at the Peoria Stadium, just as he was walking back to the dugout. And I stopped him for a moment and just had this conversation with him about what to expect in 1997. So here it is. Dave Niehaus has been broadcasting Major League Baseball for over 25 years, calling the action for the Seattle Mariners. I had the opportunity to catch up with Dave at spring training and asked him for some observations about past seasons as he prepares for another spring, summer, and if you believe Sports Illustrated, an extended fall as voice of the Seattle Mariners. I first asked Dave what opening night means to him. Well, uh, you know, it's the beginning of a new season. It's, it's, it, it, it's a portent of, uh, I think, the, 
at least this year, and, and certainly last year, I thought also the most exciting season in, in the history of the franchise. It's the beginning of spring. It's the beginning of summer. It's the beginning of excitement. It's, uh, I, I think with what has happened in the offseason, uh, it will be the, by far the most exciting season and, until we get to 1999 when we move into that new ballpark. But with this ball club, uh, the Seattle Mariners have... You know, they really do have a possibility of going to the World Series. Everything has to fall in place. You have to stay healthy, uh, et cetera. But uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited for what this season uh, forebodes. Is it as easy to go out to each game with the same enthusiasm? Oh, yeah. You know, I get asked that question a lot. I probably done, I don't know, 5,000 games in my major league career, uh, over 3,000 with Seattle. And, and and the one thing about baseball that, that I think the other sports do not present, number one, is the frequency of games. It seems like you have a game every night. You play 162, and down here we broadcast 20 exhibition games, so I'm doing 182 games a year. But you never see two games alike. I've always, well, I've done nine, ten uh, no-hitters, and uh, even no-hitters are, are, are different. Uh, the Nolan Ryan no-hitters from the Randy Johnson no-hitter, from the Chris Bosio no-hitter, from the Bo Belinsky no-hitter, and even in the blowouts where you're, you're getting blown away 15 to 2 or something like that. Uh, you know, this game has a lot of stories to tell, a lot of lore, and I love to tell the stories. And, it, and the history of the game, I think, is what is, is intriguing about this game. Is there a game uh, that really stands out in your mind as number one that you just have to say, this this was it, this is a crescendo? Oh, gosh, really too many. Really, too many ball games. Uh, you know, the no-hitters are special. Gaylord Perry's 300. But one of the, maybe the most important in, in my memory in, in, in Seattle baseball history uh, was opening night 1977 because Major League Baseball had returned to the Kingdom. It was uh, Frank Tanana against uh, Diego Segui, and everybody was excited. And, and even though that was a long year and there were a bunch of uh, misfits and castoffs, uh, uh, it, it was the return of Major League Baseball. 57,000-plus fans were there. It was an exciting, exciting time. And then, of course, in 1995, as far as the crescendo, as far as topping it all off, Edgar Martinez double into the corner or uh, Luis Soho's triple down, double down the right field line to, to win the playoff game. Uh, those are all big. Take a fly ball. They would love a base hit into the gap and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, that would be line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. Our thanks to Dave Niehaus for being a guest on U.S. West Profiles of Experience. The first pitch for the 1997 Seattle Mariners is about 60 hours away. Ah, oh, that energy, Paul. Isn't that amazing? You know, I, I just seen the bumper stickers. Remember that? My, oh, my, you know? Yep, and, and it absolutely. seemed like every other car in town back then had them in there. And uh, there was something else. There was another sign that was in a lot of cars. Some of them were just even homemade. But uh, the electricity of those years uh, here in the Emerald City and around was uh, spectacular. It was a great time to be a Mariners fan. I mean, you got to be a fan always, of course, but uh, it, it was magical. Yeah, refuse to lose. Remember refuse that? Refuse to lose. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I was listening to you. You did a great job on that for it being an impromptu moment. 
Uh, so congratulations on uh, yeah. that needs to be sent somewhere for to be chronicled. I'm serious. That was that was a wonderful interview. Great. Thank you, Eric, for that. Um, some of those are the easiest and best when you don't overthink it. I've found that sometimes you just walk up to somebody. Sometimes it doesn't always work, but, you know, in that case, it did. Yeah. Yeah. And I know uh, Eric's working on calibrating up the next interview. We're going to I'm going to have a quick conversation with Jackie Fisher, as I talked about earlier in the in the show. And we do have that now. So, Paul, if you don't mind, let's break away. You listen, go for listen it. to that interview and then we'll uh, say goodbye to this edition. We'll do a little close here at the end. We'll be right. Sounds back. good. Thanks, Eric. And welcome to this edition, this week's Spotlight on Success. I'm Eric Crema in the studios here with Jackie Fisher. Anyone that's spent a lot of time in radio knows this name. She is owner of Jackie Fisher Marketing and Media. Jackie, you're a legend. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) You are. And you're so fun to work with. Um, Thank you. I love working with people that have a huge breadth of knowledge, but still have that energy because you all your ideas are fresh, your your energy's there, and you just um, bring a smile to the room. So oh, there you thank go. Thank you, thank you. Well, I love what I'm doing. I just it's a fabulous business. I love. I, well, you know, one of the things that I've always said is uh, about advertising is I take my evil power to control and manipulate <laughs> and use it for good. And I, I really believe that. It's like I work with clients who are already, I feel like, have good businesses when I start with them and then have happy customers. And all I have to do is, like, tell the world about them. And, you know, it's been a, a very successful strategy. <laughs> It certainly has, and it's it's definitely been a career that has done you well as well, a yes. business. Um, but we were talking prior to coming in the studio, your backstory, and it's fascinating. Can you give a, a, our audience a little bit about how you got started in advertising sales and how it's led to where you are now with your own business? The way that I got started was my husband at the time, had a business that was in kind of on the wrong side of the wrong street in the wrong side of town. <laughs> and um, But it was called Superior Street. So I took my baby and I walked up and down the street and I talked everybody into going in this weekly publication that went to the whole county and uh, with a heading across the top that said Superior Street Shopping and then just you know, they all gave me their business cards and I took my my baby and I went into the newspaper and handed them all of this stuff and said, this is what we want to do. These are the people to talk to. This is what we want it to look like. And then later, when it was time for the Sandpoint Daily Bee, which was um, its progress issue of the Sandpoint Daily Bee, they uh, asked me if I would sell that. And so I went to the library. I read a book on advertising, and it basically said these four things. The acronym is AIDM. So you want to get people's attention. You want to develop interest, create desire for the product or service, and then motivate people to action. And so that works. And this is in Sandpoint, Idaho, correct? Sandpoint, Idaho. Okay. Yeah. And you had four children at the time. I had four little kids, yeah. 
I had a lot of challenges. I, I was uh, living in a town with 27% unemployment. Mm. You know, I was like a full-time Super Susie homemaker. I mean, that's what I did was I took care of those four babies and I was involved in other things in my life. But I never, I had only had a job for five months and that was a assistant manager of a store in Spokane. Mm-hmm. So... This was all new to me, but I loved it. I just, I really got into it. I oversold the progress issue for the Sandpoint Daily Bee. I got offered a job at a health club. Uh, while I was working at the health club, uh, somebody from the a printer said, you should get involved in this. So I got involved with the printing firm and uh, sold printing forms and that kind of thing. And then we had a, a publication that was a real estate publication. So I had a lot of experience working with a lot of different clients. Also, I got involved in theater, community theater at that time. And somebody heard me on stage, liked my voice, and asked me to start doing commercial voicing for them. So that's actually Mm. how I got involved in the radio business initially was by doing commercials. And then I was still working for the printing company. And uh, the guy at the radio station, I went to sell him some print. And he said, if ever you want a job. So... (laughs) That's how I got into radio. And it was really fun because you could do pretty much whatever you wanted to do. I had a radio program called the Sandpoint Power Company. It's like plug into the positive energy of the Sandpoint <laughs> Power Company. And I, you know, would do interviews and stuff on that and sell advertising. And, you know, I mean, I could do literally if it made money, I could do it. So it was it was a fun, fun experience uh, working in small market. But When I moved to the Seattle area, that experience was a good thing to bring into a large market where uh, sometimes people were more concerned about numbers Mm -hmm. than, I mean, I was used to working with real people and, and not, you know, big companies and stuff. And I always used to say, if this doesn't work, baby doesn't get new shoes. I mean, (laughs) this has to work. So I feel like I came you know, into the radio industry with a really good background. And I worked for a couple of radio stations and then finally got to the point where I ended up working with a small agency and then decided I could do this on my own. So I have had my business since 1995 Mm. and my husband has been working with me since June of 2000. So and we got to chat with Keith. I've known Keith for many years. It's been a while since I've actually sat down with him. So it was nice. 40 years marriage. 40 years married, yeah. And worked together how many years? We've worked together for 22 years. And also, I have to tell you, when he married me, I had four kids, and now I have five. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> what a, you're living a charmed life. Yeah, and <laughs> and I love what I'm doing. We, um, you know, obviously because I started in radio and love radio. That's um, you know, and I, it works. We see increases in um, store traffic. I mean, it flat out works. But you know, we've moved on with the times, and we're doing. You know, we do a lot of um, internet stuff, mm-hmm. social media, that kind of thing too. But you're certainly a fan of radio. You always have been a proponent of it. Um, We're going to talk about a a couple of your clients. Um, But before we do that, it's interesting how even though you've come all the way from Sandpoint, selling print, and really hustling there, 
The job remains the same, right? It's to bring business into your clients through their doors, through their website, through you know, phone calls and that sort of thing. Well, and, and I think, you know, like always kind of my goal is to develop a pre-sold, pre-qualified customer. Mm. And my feeling is that, you, you know, one of the things that I've loved about radio or audio, period, is the fact that, you know, you start with a market who who basically doesn't know you isn't interested in your product, could care less. Mm -hmm. And then you develop through radio ads and also through opportunities to sponsor news and programming and be part of promotions and that kind of thing. You develop a relationship with the audience of a station. And, you know, everybody has an area of influence. And it's like that, that word of mouth referral thing. We have seen it develop with radio, both the word of mouth referral and certainly we see web traffic go through the roof when we're doing radio, especially for somebody who was, you know, back in the day when we first started, started using Google Analytics to kind of see what was going on. I mean, you could tell. And I worked with somebody who was tracking and they were using television. And then when we started radio, I mean, their web traffic went through the roof and they had been using television too. So it's it's something that I've always tracked and I've always, you know, based my success is my client's success. It's not about me. It's not mm -hmm. about Jackie Fisher Marketing and Media. It's about Sky Nursery. It's about Olympic Hot Tub. It's mm -hmm. about day and night plumbing and heating. It's about those people that we've worked with for a really long time, helping their businesses increase customers. And that top of my name recognition and market awareness is just I think it's critical. It's really critical. So we want people to be looking for Olympic hot tub when they go to the Internet or looking for Sky Nursery or day and night plumbing and heating. So For sure. And yeah. so you've had the unique opportunity to write spots, to develop their marketing plans, to counsel them on what stations to be on, to focus the message it's really a full service situation, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. It's like, I mean, you know, the first thing is who's your best customer? You know, what's the profile of that person? What kind of a person are they? And then also looking at your products as far as like where there are opportunities to increase sales within your product categories too. So we track a lot of stuff. I can know for 20 years what somebody made in any month you know, <laughs> for most of our clients. So. Well, and I know that you know the history of Seattle radio. Yes, you, you, you know yes. all the players. You yeah. know the audiences and the formats, which yeah. is really cool. And you've had clients that have spanned all that time, and you've seen their businesses grow, and you've made changes and things like that. So long and short of it is you're very knowledgeable. You and your team about that. So I'd like to encourage anyone who might be a, a business owner listening to this right now, and they just have some questions because this is the type of giving person that you are. Thank people you. that know yes. you know this about you is you're willing to just talk to people right. and counsel them because you're in this for the long haul. You're not yeah. you're not making a quick buck. It's about you know it's really about the long term relationship. It it really is, and we really care about our our customers really works. Well, I want first people to maybe check out your website. So JackieFisherMarketing.com, right? Yeah. Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E, 
fishermarketing.com. Look at the website, but then also just call. Can they call that 425 number? Yeah, sure. Okay, 425-670-3818. That's 425-670-3818. And Jackie is just the way in person as she sounds right here. (laughs) High energy, lots of great ideas, but super intelligent as to what's been going on in the market and, and with different businesses and how to apply that to a plan. That really helps you. So that's why I wanted you to come on here. We do have some small business owners that listen to this program, and I think they could value from your knowledge. Thank you so much. It's been really nice to spend this time with you today, too. Thank you. And and anyone's free to call if they have questions or want to knock some ideas around. Sounds good. And next time we'll have you back, but we'll bring Keith in. I want to get some stories about uh, some of the conversations you've had working together because I know in my <laughs> wife, I mean, there's been some times where she'd want to, you know, yeah, there's some good stories. Um, so, but my hat's off to you for not only the success on your business, but your marriage and your family. That's Thank a wonderful you. thing. Thank you. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely be back next week with another edition of Spotlight on Success here on Kixie 880 and uh, our sister station, KKNW AM 1150, and of course, podcast. We'll talk to you again on another edition of Spotlight on Success. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and along with Eric Kramer and Eric Ryder, We thank you for listening today. Next week, Sal Cracciolo, former trumpet player with Tower of Power. This week's One Hit Wonder coming up next. This week's One Hit Wonder was written by Bobby Russell, who was a quite popular songwriter and singer at the time. After writing it, he was reluctant to have it recorded because... He just didn't like it. His wife, however, did like the song and recorded a demo. The publishers at the record label didn't know how to pitch the song because it wasn't a country song, nor was it a pop song. The song was offered to share, but her then-husband and manager, Sonny Bono, refused it. He was concerned that the song might offend Cher's Southern fans. You may understand why Sonny Bono was reluctant to have Cher sing the song after you hear it. Without a singer... Bobby Russell's wife went back into the studio and re-recorded it herself. The single was released and eventually shot up to number one on the Billboard Top 100. From November of 1972, that's the night that the lights went out in Georgia by Vicki Lawrence. He was on his way home from Candletop Been two weeks gone and he thought he'd stop at Webb's and have him a drink before he went home to her Andy Wolo said hello, and he said hi, what's doing, Wolo said sit down, I've got some bad news, it's gonna hurt. He said I'm your best friend and you know that's right, but your young bride ain't home tonight, since you've been gone she's been seeing that Amos boy Seth. Well he got mad and he saw red, and Andy said boy don't you lose your head, cause to tell you the truth. I've been with her myself That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia That's the night that they hung an innocent man Well, don't trust your soul and no backwoods southern lawyer Cause the judge in the town's got bloodstains on his hands 
Well, Andy got scared and left the bar Walking on home cause he didn't live far See, Andy didn't have many friends and he just lost him one Brother thought his wife must have left town So he went home and finally found The only thing Papa had left him and that was a gun And he went off to Andy's house Slipping through the backwoods quiet as a mouse Came upon some tracks too small for Andy to make He looked through the screen at the back porch door And he saw Andy lying on the floor in a puddle of blood And he started to shake Where the Georgia Patrol wasn't making their rounds So he fired a shot just to flag him down And a big belly chair grabbed his gun and said Why'd you do it? And the judge said guilty in a make-believe trial Slapped the sheriff on the back with a smile Said supper's waiting at home And I gotta get to it That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia Well, they hung my brother before I could say the tracks he saw while on his way to Andy's house and back that night were mine. Had never left town And that's one body that'll never be found See, little sister don't miss When she aims her gun That's a night that the lights went out in Georgia Oh, oh, oh. That's a night that they haunted the innocent man Oh, oh, oh. But don't trust your soul and all that 